Would you bet a few thousand dollars that you could sink an eight-foot putt? What about 10 grand that you could win a drag race against a Camaro with a thousand horsepower? If you bet $2 million, could you bet it all on one football game? Maybe you wish you could, but you probably wouldn't. Gamblers is about the people who did. From the Ringer Podcast Network, listen to Gamblers Season 2 on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season 2 follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next-level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash fyc. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. It is Tuesday, October 18th. The 76th season of the National Basketball Association begins tonight. And in many ways, the league has never been in a better spot. It's 2021-22 revenues past $10 billion, according to Commissioner Adam Silver. That's a new record. And its television ratings rebounded 19% from the pandemic-impacted 2020-21 season across ABC, ESPN, and TNT. Advertising and sponsorship topped the last regular season, which was 2018-2019, coming in at $1.31 billion, also a new record. The NBA has always attracted a younger demo, and in a TV ecosystem that is getting older and older, that younger audience is more and more valuable. The NBA has more stars than it's ever had, and it seems like there's more off-court drama to keep easily distracted fans engaged. But, and yes, this is a show about the butts, there are some red flags for the league. It's finals ratings in June for what should have been a popular matchup between the Golden State Warriors and Boston Celtics were down 18% from 2019 to an average of 12.4 million viewers, the lowest since 2007, and that year was a sweep. It's local games. They're largely on regional sports networks, which are extremely challenged businesses these days as more people cut the cord. Young fans, those same young fans that the advertisers covet, are increasingly following the league via their social feeds or TikTok videos. And the lucrative nine-year TV deals that are worth $24 billion from Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery expire in 2025. And both those companies have experienced challenges recently that they're expected to bid to retain the rights for a steep price increase. Warner in particular, which is saddled in debt, signaled that it at least wants to try to keep the NBA by signing its Turner hosts of Inside the NBA to lucrative 10-year deals this past week. 
The streaming services will also be in the mix to air NBA games. So how high will those rights fees go? And what partners are the NBA likely to pick and why? That's our topic today. I've got Andrew Wallenstein on the show. In addition to being a Clippers fan, yes, you heard that right, he's chief media analyst at Variety Intelligence Platform, and he follows the NBA's media rights deals very closely. So today, all things NBA, from the ringer and puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Andy Wallenstein from Variety Intelligence Platform. Andy, you excited about the NBA season tonight? Absolutely. Clippers, this is the year. You are a Clippers fan, which I find hilarious, but that's okay. Uh, We're not talking about whether the Clippers are going to make the playoffs. Then what am I doing here? (laughs) We're we're not even talking about any of the -the on-the-court activities right now. We're talking about off-the-court, the... NBA business, the media rights business, which is um, pretty booming right now. And the speculation, let's let's go through it. So Disney, which is ESPN and ABC, pays $1.4 billion a year for NBA rights. Warner Brothers Discovery, which is the Turner Networks, pays $1.2 billion a year. Disney has slightly better rights, including the finals. Um, that's $2.6 billion a year from these television outlets. Now, the rights deals are up in 2025, and the speculation is that these numbers could go to seven or eight billion dollars a year, which would be a pretty significant increase in revenue to the NBA. Um, do you agree with those numbers, or what do you? And what is driving up that value right now? Well, I would say the first thing that's driving it up is that everything else on linear television isn't doing sure, that. Sure, of course, yes. It's the last frontier. Exactly, exactly. I think also the NBA has a good story to tell after a few pandemic-impacted seasons. Ratings are looking good, sponsorships, ad revenue. The league is in a great place. It's got younger demos. It's global friendly. So I would imagine we're going to see quite a bidding war, and that seven to eight billion is really going to be a very reasonable sum per year. Isn't this just because there's more bidders now? I mean, if you look at Amazon, you look at Apple, you look at Peacock for NBC Universal, like they all want in on this, right? And it's just like we saw with Thursday Night Football with Amazon taking over. Yeah, people laughed when they spent a billion dollars, but then that first game aired and they had record signups for Amazon Prime Video. So isn't, I mean, more bidders equals more money, right? And that's what's going on. More bidders who also have endless pocket room to really make great bids that are just going to blow everyone else away. So Apple and Amazon, I think they're ready to take the next step. And by that, I mean that they've already done smaller deals. Uh, They've gotten a little bit of baseball over here. They've gotten MLS over there. The NBA would represent a humongous deal for either of these players. And you mentioned the pockets they have because everybody is looking at what Warner Brothers Discovery just did with the inside the NBA team, you know, Charles Barkley and the rest just signed them to new 10-year deals this week. Barkley got anywhere between 100 million and 200 million depending on what outlet you believe to stay with that franchise, which is hilarious cuz he always talks about retiring, but everybody is saying, "Oh, well that means that Warner's is serious about keeping the NBA." 
I don't think I buy that. Warner Brothers Discovery is an extremely challenged company right now. They have massive amounts of debt. They're cutting across the board at all of their outlets. They understand that sports is sports, and that's what is powering their linear business. So they, are, I believe they are going to pay if they can to keep the NBA, but aren't they just like the the kid in the candy store who you know empties his pockets on the counter to buy the big sucker, but then the you know the rich kid comes in and just puts his credit card down and says, "I'll pay whatever you need." Like, why would why would Apple or Amazon, if they want these rights, why would they let Warner's get them? Well, putting that accurate but elaborate candy metaphor aside, uh, I think that the thing you can't underestimate here is the conservatism of the leagues themselves, meaning they have been in business in the case of an NBA with Disney and Turner for 20 years. There is a comfort factor with that. They're not going to just hand over giant rights to even the biggest bidders unless they feel completely comfortable. So I will disagree with you. I think that the Turner deal is significant. It reminded me back when CBS uh, extended Tony Romo to what was then a huge, I think, record contract. They're sending a signal to the league. We are in this. We are serious this. We want to pay for that sucker with our last dime. But isn't that just a message? I mean, this this 10-year deal, that goes away if they lose the rights. So not yeah. huge risks. Um they really just want to posture for the league because I think what Warner Brothers Discovery is hoping is that the NBA will stay with them for less money because they're not going to be able to pay whatever Amazon or, you know, some people think Netflix will get into this bidding war because Netflix is increasingly realistic. signaling that they may be interested in sports rights, which they have not been. Amazon has a deal to broadcast some NBA games in Brazil already. But if Netflix and Amazon and Apple get into this, it does, it, it's not a cost thing because they can always outbid. It will be this momentum from their relationship or the fact that Linear still delivers um, this audience that is used to watching sports on the linear outlets. So I think that they're making these moves to hopefully get a discount. Which I don't think is going to happen. Um, but but there's the rub. If they don't have the money to bid what the streamers do, and they're not going to get a discount, then where does that leave these traditional companies? Well, Matt, don't forget here, it's not necessarily an either or. It is quite possible that what you will see here will be somewhat similar to the NFL, which is Linear will get some rights, mm -hmm. and there will also be some rights that a new player like Amazon or Apple, or yes, I agree, even Netflix is possible, not probable. But uh, I would bet on a split before I'd bet on any one entity grabbing all the rights. So they'll carve out a new package sure. for streaming, and there'll be essentially something akin to Thursday night football for the NBA, whether it's another uh, you know weekly game of the week or something, right? Yep. Okay. That makes sense to me. And then you can dip your toe in the water and right. feel out the streamers and see how they handle the NBA and see if the audience transfers over. Because that's the big challenge. You know, the NBA has had a traditionally younger demo, but younger demos are increasingly not on linear television. So it seems like the league in this next deal needs to at least acknowledge that and provide games on streaming for people who don't even have cable. 
or else they're just going to watch it on TikTok or Twitter or wherever. Sure. Um, all right. So the other t- the other thing that is an interesting business issue is the business of the regional sports networks. Your local NBA team is likely on a local channel that is owned by a big regional sports network company. Uh, that business is extremely challenged right now. As more people cut the cord, these rights fees have gone up and the regional sports networks are treading water barely. The Clippers, your team, are doing something interesting here. They just announced they're launching a direct-to-consumer digital version of a regional sports network in Los Angeles called, uh, weirdly enough, Clipper Vision, and they're going to go direct-to-consumer. Is this a template for the rest of the league? And if so, where does that leave these regional sports networks? Well, it certainly makes a a challenged business even more challenging. I do think this will be a template not just for basketball teams, but others, uh, where we are going to see teams make a play within their local footprint, just offering their games. And as much as I think Steve Ballmer is a visionary, I do think the $200 they'll be charging for Clipper Vision will be a steep price to pay. However, the RSNs are still in on that. They're going to. Yeah, I was going to say, why would they allow this? I mean, they have exclusive rights, and they're not going to just do it unless you cut them in. And the RSNs themselves uh, have been dipping their toes in the streaming waters as well. We've seen, I think, in New England, the the Red Sox uh, RSN has a play there for a number of Boston teams, and we're seeing even across regions. Sinclair, which is a a very troubled player in the RSN business, is trying to put together this big cross-sport play that would operate on a national level. However, that's that's they're teetering at the edge of bankruptcy over there. The leagues may actually need to buy that out. So keep an eye on that. Yeah, that that doesn't seem that viable to me. I mean, that I, I wonder what happens if these. RSNs ultimately go bankrupt and leaves these markets struggling to figure out what to do with the rights, whether they sell them back to their local channels, like in the LA market, you know, the games would air on, on a channel nine or whatever, one of those. Um, I just don't, I don't know what the future is there. And does the league is the question, is it, are we headed toward a version of a league pass where, you know, the NBA will have a product that you can buy and either it's a local subscription or a national and it's kind of tiered out where you pay what you want. I certainly think that is conceivable, but is the economics going to match up there? I mean, they get a lot of money from these RSNs. Yeah. I'm look, I think this clipper thing will be a test. I think there's a lot of experimentation going on and I think it's going to happen for a long time. And that will pave the way where I think it's inevitable to go, which is the RSNs are going to be a rapidly diminishing business. And unclear where that where the rest of it comes from. Yeah, we'll have to see how it takes shape in the coming years. So how is all this going to trickle down to the players? Because, you know, we're seeing salaries creep up for players like Curry, LeBron, you know, the elite players. Um, it's all based on the revenue that the owners take in. So if you have a doubling or tripling of the TV license fees for the league, which trickles down to the owners, can we expect the salaries to go up in the next collective bargaining agreement? 
double, Absolutely. triple potentially? Are we going to look at a $100 million a year NBA player? I won't go that far, but I would not blink at all if you see 60 to 70 million per year for the top players. And don't forget, I mean, Steph Curry's already at 48 million per year. They make tons more in endorsements. So some very rich people are going to get richer. I think we're going to start to see players that are basically made billionaires by having long careers. Um, and it all comes down to that collective bargaining agreement. The NBA is anticipating this major rights fee hike that will then trickle down to these players and the salary cap, which is currently now, I want to say about 120 something million is going to go up significantly. But why hasn't that happened in the NFL? The NFL is a, a very different business. Frankly, the players don't get as rich there. Uh, the NBA they don't, and the and the players' association is not nearly as powerful. That is true. But I, you just wonder. I mean, most of my, my, call me a cynic here, but I think that the owners will end up pocketing most of this rights fee increase. I think there's going to be plenty of room for both the owners and the players, given the NBA has a very powerful union. That that it could be a win-win. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. So let's talk a little bit more about ratings and the audience for the NF for the uh, NBA. Uh, as you mentioned, the numbers were pretty good last season. They increased over the previous season, obviously because of the pandemic, but they actually were up compared to 2019. Then the NBA finals came in, went, and the ratings were down despite a pretty good TV matchup of West Coast versus East Coast in the Warriors versus the Celtics. Why do you think the NBA finals were down in the ratings? That is a head scratcher because I would say it's an ideal matchup. Uh, two major markets. Golden State is probably the most popular team on the planet. Uh, I don't think there's easy answers there, but I do think it also goes down to, and this something is very relevant to what we're talking about here, which is the value of game rights to a new generation of fans that don't necessarily have the attention span to sit through whole games. They want to digest the games on TikTok and other social platforms. That is something that I think the leagues and uh, programmers have to take note of, because I think when we're talking about five to 10 years out, I do wonder whether the games will have the power that they currently do. But what do you do about that? If you, if you are the NBA, 
How do you fix that problem? Is that just a consumer behavior change that you have to live with and your games are going to get less audience? Or do you try to control that? Do you try to control the clips that circulate online? Do you try to make your broadcast so compelling with other stuff that you can't get in the clips that you have to watch? I mean, that's obviously what football is doing with the Manning cast where they're trying to create this alternate broadcast that keeps people interested when the game isn't great and when you, that you can't see in the clips on Twitter. Is that the answer for the NBA? I think it is the answer. Yes, they're going to be in that clips business. You know, TikTok, the NBA has a major, major presence on there. But I, I think to your point of the Manning cast, you will see the league, you are seeing the league innovate a ton. Now, frankly, I think with the Manning cast, that's a, a case of some pretty unique magic that will not be easy to recapture. Yeah, I mean, inside the NBA is basically the Manning cast of the NBA, but it's pregame and halftime. Yes. Um, but, you know, even for my beloved Clippers on Clipper Vision, you're going to see Steve Ballmer joining. He's the owner of the Clippers. Uh, and I don't know still that that's going to be quite as popular as the man. Yeah, I don't know who asked for that other than Steve Ballmer's wife. I asked for it. You did. Really? You're interested in the owner bloviating about his own team on his own broadcast? very objective about his team. I have no doubt. Really? Yeah. We'll look for it. I didn't Cuban try that. Cuban tried to get into that at one point and Mark Cuban and, and it didn't work. He's, he learned his his spot is on the sidelines. Um, what are you most excited about from a media perspective for this NBA season? I just, I, I think you, I couldn't be more excited for this season. And I'm talking beyond the Clippers here because there is incredible parity across the league. Both conferences are stacked with contenders. There's a, a, a ton of stars that have made this league and have always since the days of Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson been what is so compelling about this league. And what I would also say is it's not just about what's going on on the court. The NBA has this uncanny knack for things to be constantly dramas that are always going on. You know, if you look what's going on now with Draymond Green and the Jordan Poole uh, situation to the Ime Doka firing with the Celtics, uh, the Robert Sarver stepping down with the Phoenix Suns, there's always something to make this game interesting, not just in season, but off season. I feel like the true fans always have something to engage with. Well, and there's also the perennial complaint that the NBA players don't really try hard until March, April, May. I would agree with that. The NBA to me is like no other league in terms of the difference between regular season and playoff play. It's just a, a different, higher quality. And I think, frankly, that's also hurt regular season ratings. Casual fans really don't tune in for those 82 games because they know things are going to get ratcheted up in a big way come the postseason. So it seems like they are trying to address this problem of the mid-season doldrums by proposing this in-season tournament. Tell us a little bit about that and how it might juice the ratings. I think it's a great idea if it comes to pass. Instead of just these 82-game slog that people don't really pay attention to, they'll pull out some of those games and put in an in-season tournament, the results of which will impact how you play in the playoffs 
And I think by raising the stakes there, it's going to give the casual fan a reason to tune in, which should help ratings. I'm really excited for this. I hope it happens. So it's basically just to get people into a playoff-like atmosphere in the middle of the season. Yeah, we've already seen an innovation like that that's worked in the beginning of the playoffs over the past few years. They've done what's known as a play-in tournament, giving the ninth and 10th seeds the opportunity to compete with the seven and eights. And that's, I think, done really well. And this is just an extension of that kind of play. All right. So, Andy, big picture here. If you are a fan of the Minnesota Timberwolves, where will you be watching the majority of their games in five, ten years? Well, I think that's a big open question and that we're going to see a lot of different experimentation in these years. But my guess is we're going to see a range of options, at least in the short term. I think you're still going to see RSNs that will play a role in this. They may develop into streaming options. They may go away entirely. We may see Minnesota uh, have their own direct-to-consumer play like the Clippers do. There's always the NBA League Pass option. It also depends where you are. If you're in the local market versus somewhere else in the country, around the world, I think optionality is going to be what's going to be there in the future. And it's not going to be so reliant on a pay TV system that is becoming more and more obsolete every day. And if you are a fan of, like, let's say Craig lives in L.A., loves the Warriors, how is Craig going to watch every Warriors game in five years? And is he going to have to pay $200 a month or 500 bucks a season or whatever the league pass costs? I mean, league pass is the option that is going to certainly be there in the longer term, whether the Warriors will have the ability to charge outside their region at any price. We haven't seen that model yet. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it could cannibalize something like League Pass. So yeah. there are things that got to be figured out. And Sling. You could always do Sling. Sling TV. Uh, virtual MVPD. Sure. That's impossible, too. It's, it's going to be very complicated for a while, and that's not a good thing. You want to make content discovery very easy. And so that's also another reason why sometimes the big tech companies are at a disadvantage in these biddings because the leagues want to make it simple, and the simplest option is to stay where the rights already are. Yeah, I mean, even with the Amazon Thursday Night Football, those numbers were good, but there is a certain percentage of people that are just used to watching football in a certain way and are not going to figure out how to watch a game elsewhere. And I think the NBA has that problem. They've got to weigh the money that could be potentially coming into the league versus the viability of a massive mainstream audience that they get currently via the cable bundle. Sure. Look at college basketball. I think there's already confusion. Am I watching on Turner, CBS, it, True TV? What is that, right? Oh, you for March Madness, yeah. But, but oh, God, March Madness is so much better now than it used to be when it was all on CBS and they had to choose which game they were showing. I mean, it's kind of crazy how that used to be. Now you can watch any of these games. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you will be there. Uh, do you have season tickets now? I do not. But you but go you a lot. Pay for mine. I yeah, do. Go. I, I will definitely pay for yours. It, it will bring me a lot of pleasure to see you in the crowd painting yourself in Clipper colors. What are the Clipper colors these days? It's a mix of black, blue. You know, it's not as simple as Dodger blue. All right. Well, I'll look for you with uh, painting your body those colors in the audience for the Clippers. Uh, thanks, Andy. Anytime. 
All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, I'm about to depress you. Okay. Universal Studios has a new development deal with a bunch of TikTokers to turn them into television creators. You know, I guess we're still relatively early on in the social media world, but like, does that work? Is there a social media to screenwriting pipeline? Universal apparently thinks so. They've launched the Creator Accelerator for 11 social media creators at, for people with 10 million followers or more on social media. And they're being signed to create original series and given a mentorship program. And hopefully Universal is going to turn these uh, funny people from TikTok into TV stars. You know, I don't want to poo-poo the idea, I, I guess. Oh, uh, I do. I do. <laughs> I think this is ridiculous. I, I think this is like this is like taking a major league soccer player and saying, okay, you're now a football player. It's like Ted Lasso. It doesn't actually work in real life. No, it's like taking an MLB star and saying, okay, great. You can hit home runs. Can you throw a, an 80-yard pass? Like, it's just a different medium. I mean, maybe there will be one. Maybe there'll be a Tony Gonzalez who can play basketball and football, but there is not going to be anyone. Uh, out of the, my prediction is that this is going to fail and none of these creators will actually do anything meaningful on television. Okay, let me push back. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are the qualifications to being a screenwriter? Obviously, you can go to film school and learn how to screenwrite professionally from professors and stuff like that. But a lot of screenwriters just are people who are at home who just wrote scripts that ended up being good. John Hughes and Nora Ephron, sure. if they were around nowadays, maybe they would have been on TikTok and you would have been upset when Universal hired them to pen a script. Maybe. And that's obviously the theory here. And there are people that get big on social media and that, be, that get a platform. Like, look at the Please Don't Destroy guys who are on SNL now. I'm not saying that they aren't out there. What I'm saying is that though, if you are out there, you don't need this creator accelerator program. If you're good, you can find an agent. You can do the traditional route. What yeah. this looks like is a cynical effort from Universal to say, oh my God, there's people with 10 million followers. They must be TV creators. And it's a very different skill. Um, so that's what I just, I think just going after people with big followings is not, the way to do this, which seems like what they're doing. I agree with that. I do. Um, all right. That's the show. I want to thank Andy Wallenstein for coming on, talking NBA. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you later this week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.